I want to thank you for coming this morning. Uh, you made a, a great choice by being here at church to be together with other believers so that you can hear the Word of God. And uh, obviously you can read that at home, and that's a good thing, but it's a, especially a good thing to come together as the church and to hear the Word of God together. And insofar as my words this morning are of God, I'm praying that you're hearing those and uh, that the Spirit of God moves in your heart this morning and that He moves in your life and causes things to be different than maybe they perhaps already are. If you're new here this morning, I just want to welcome you. I want to say thank you for coming and, and checking out Outward Church. We want you to know that we're a community of believers who love Jesus and live outward. And that simply means this, that Jesus is everything to us. And as a result, we believe that it should change our lives. It doesn't mean that we're perfect, but we believe it should change our lives on a regular basis. And as a result, make our community better by living outward, not for ourselves, not just for our church, not just for our Christian community, but for our community that even doesn't believe the same way that we do, even people that hate us. We want to be outward in that sense. So we want to welcome you uh, to uh, Outward Church um, this morning we're going to be in James chapter 4, so you can be turning there, and uh, we'll pick it up in just a few moments. We've been going through the book of James, and James is very practical, and so I think you're going to get something uh, this morning, especially out of what's, uh, what's being taught, uh, because it is a practical book, and it, it gives us some tangible things to do. Um, but uh, what, we're, what we've been talking about uh, from the very beginning of James is we've just been walking through what he's been saying. And so you can go back and listen to those sermons online if you want. You can read uh, the scriptures, obviously, as well, beginning in the, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1. And right now I'm in the middle of um, a, uh, a massive project at home. I have a, uh, a 1910 farmhouse. I believe what I'm told is that it is one of the first houses on the block. And uh, we bought the house not because it was in such uh, great repair, but because it was in disrepair. And there was enough room for uh, our kiddos uh, to sleep in one room. One of our, one of our kids is in a closet. Um, and uh, don't take that too far. But... Um, in, in any case, but it's, it's big enough for the baby, and so she's in there, and so we have lots of uh, other square footage that's just not finished, and so we've been working on finishing that, but before we do that, we've got to take care of some things. Throughout the house, uh, there are things that you, you can tell there's something wrong, like the floor is kind of sloping in the dining room. If you've ever been in my dining room with us, you, we're kind of half-cocked like that. That's not natural. That, that's just because of the house, but uh, you know, the floor is kind of sloping, and, and downstairs in our basement especially, somebody did some remodeling and um, took out a support beam and its posts and then decided to rig up something that I have never seen in a home before, and I've done quite a bit of remodeling in my days, and so uh, it's, it's been an interesting uh, process. I've been down there with my son, Marshall. He's been uh, filling up the trailer. If I knew they were going to be this helpful, I would have had more, but, um, you know, uh, they, I mean, he's just, I'm like handing stuff out the window, and he's putting it in the trailer. I'm like, this is fantastic. I finally see the purpose of kids, but um, it's, it's really, I really, I really love them. It's great father-son time. And then we're ripping down laughing plaster. Have you ever ripped that down and, and got into that stuff? But it's just this old plaster and it's just nasty and dusty. And we were up till 11 o'clock doing this the other night. Our neighbors love us. And so, um, in any case, we're, we're going through lots of stuff, but ultimately the reason why we're tearing things apart 
is because we've got to get to the core. We've got to get down to the heart of what's going on with the house. We've got to get down to the main problem in the midst of the home, which is the support issues. And when we get down there, we see all types of foundation issues, foundational problems with the home. And, um, and, uh, and so this is what's affecting the entire house. But really, uh, all of us are kind of like that. All of us have lives that in some way or another are affected by the foundational issues of our life. And many times we try to do window dressing. We put new window coverings on. We try to put new paint on. Or we try to, we try to cover things up and, and, and say, I'm, I'm going to make my life better this way or that way. But what Christianity and what the Bible is teaching you and me today is that it's not just about us doing window dressing, a, a covering on the house here and there, but it is about a full transformation of your life. But a full transformation of your life has to start at the very core of who you are. There's foundational issues in your life and in my life that have to be addressed. And it can't just be addressed once. It has to be addressed on a regular basis. We have to address all of the things that are the very root issue that's, that's going on. You see this in all kinds of systemic issues in our society that th this problem starts here, but it comes back to here, and it comes back to here, and it comes back, and, and you keep going deeper and deeper, and you come back to maybe someone's childhood, and you say they were treated this way by, by a father or by a parent or by a teacher or something like that. That's why they're acting this way, and that's why this is happening in our world. Or they were taught this as a child, and so these things took place. What the scriptures claim is this, is that it has the ability through the power of God not just because it's words on a page. There's lots of self-help books that claim these things, but the scriptures actually claim supernatural power in our lives. It claims supernatural power in your life. And so what we have to try to understand today is how do we see this transformation take place in our lives? How do we transform our world? James has been, as I said, very practical. And what James has been talking about for the last little bit is he's been talking about taming the, the tongue and, and talking about how we speak to one another and the, the, the cutting words that we say back and forth to one another. And he ends that, that little bit by saying, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And he's saying, like, you can't get good things out of bad things. You can't get one thing uh, you can't get this kind of fruit out of this kind of fruit tree. Like, it has, like, if this is who you are, then this is what's coming out. And again, you can try to change the, the window covering. You can try to paint things. But at the end of the day, what's in you is going to come out. What's a part of you is going to leak out into all of your relationships. What's the way that you're made up on the inside is going to eventually affect, if it's not already, and I assure you it most likely is, it's going to affect who you are. And so what James is saying is he's saying that there's a problem internally that's coming out externally. And then he says in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in meekness and in wisdom. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, if, if you think and if I think that we are, if we think that we are wise, if we think that we have some kind of wisdom, 
then that should be backed up by our conduct, by our character. It's not just your character publicly, but it's your character privately. It's who you are personally when no one's looking. It's like it's got to be backed up by your conduct. And so what he's talking about is he's he's essentially giving us a way that relationships are supposed to work out. And when you have a have a life that's pouring out good things, what it means is that there's good things going on inside of you. Chapter 4 continues that theme of relational workings out. It, it continues the theme of working things out in relationships. And what, what's going on here? And I think he gets down to the root of the issue. And he says in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Let's just stop right there for a second. Like, let's just let's talk about everything going on in our life. The biggest things happening in our life. The, the biggest events, the most stressful things that we have taking place around us. They're oftentimes the quarrels and the fights. It's the fighting at home. Some of you got in a fight before you got here. On your way to church, sinners, good grief. I would have done it too if I was at home with my wife, but I was already here studying, right? Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights? It's the biggest things that are going on in our life are the relational issues that we have going on. The most devastating things in your life are the things that are going on in your marriage. Like you may be on uh, the doorstep of divorce or you may already be divorced. And what's happening is that there's quarrels and there's fighting that's going on. And James is like asking this question that seems kind of small, like, well, you didn't do the dishes, or you didn't provide for me, or you never whatever. But James is really getting down to the root issue, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you where quarrels and where fights come from, and it's not where you think. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you suppose it is, no, it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And 
There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, what James says there is obviously a lot. And I see several different sections. We could spend a lot of time in this passage. But he begins by saying, what causes these quarrels and these fights? I want you to think right now about some type of relational issue that you have. To think about, it, it may be with your spouse if you're married, and maybe with, with a friend that you haven't talked to in a while, especially if you're single, like maybe you haven't hung out with this person. It's, something's happened there. There's something in between you. It may be uh, something at work, or it may be just something in your immediate family, uh, perhaps a parent or something along those lines. What's causing these things? And James says, he's going to answer back, and he's going to say, is it not that your passions are at war within you? Now, that word passions is not just like passion. Like when we think of passion, we think of um, all kinds of things. There's, uh, you know, the, the music that comes from passion, the Christian music that comes from, from passion. There's passion that seems kind of sexual in nature. There's, there's passion, which is just like, I'm passionate about this. But what James is saying here is he's saying, is it not that your hedone, where we get the word hedonist or hedonistic or hedonism, which is the endless pursuit of passion or, or of pleasure, I should say. It's the endless pursuit of that. It is the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. It's the pursuit of pleasure at all costs. James is saying this, that every single one of us, when there's fights and quarrels among us, especially in the church, what he's saying is he's saying that we are acting like a bunch of hedonists who want pleasure at all costs. We don't care what it takes to get it. We just want what we want no matter what. Now take that thought that I asked you to have in your head, the, the issue that you may be having with someone right now, and I want you to apply this passage to yourself and say, what's causing this fight in my marriage, what's causing this fight in my relationships, what's causing this argument at my work is my passions are at war. You might say, no, it's not. It's their passions are at war. Now, you just got to take responsibility for what's yours here. So many times, well, this would be great for my spouse to hear. No, this is for you. This is for you, all right? Your passions are at war. My passions are at war within me. It's the endless pursuit of pleasure. That that's all that I want. That's all that I need. Sometimes we talk about it here at Outward Church as uh, security, comfort, and control, and approval. We... we deeply desire to have the approval of other people, that in turn gives me pleasure because I want your approval at all costs. Like pastors especially deal with this because, you know, I, I stand and talk to people all the time, right? And sometimes people aren't very nice and they say, your sermon sucked. And I'd probably say back to you, you're right. It might have sucked. But guess what? It still kind of hurts, doesn't it? But really what's coming, what it comes down to is that sometimes I can have a passion for the approval of others. I can have a passion for security. I feel insecure and I have to feel secure. And so I've got to have lots of money. 
or I've got to have this right house, or I've got to have these types of things. It's the security. It's the control. I've got to be in control of things. My passions are at war with one another, and you're taking the thing in my life. If there's a banner over my life, it's approval, comfort, security, or control, and it's that is who I am. That's what I want. It's the only thing that I want. In fact, the next word that he uses right here is he says, you desire, you desire, that word desire, you desire and do not have so you murder. And he's saying this, I, it's possible that in the church at that time, people could have been killing each other. And sometimes we feel like that with one another, don't we? Let's just be honest, right? Uh, but he may be saying this, that at the end of the day, that desire, that Epic desire. I believe the word is epithymios. It's an epic desire. It's a huge desire. It's, it's so big. It is the thing that I want more than anything, and I will run over anybody in my way in order to get it. Your arguments and your fights at the very root of them come down to this, that your passions are at war. You're a hedonist at heart. You have epic desires that overtake everything else in your life. You will sacrifice your marriage. You will sacrifice your relationships. You will sacrifice your job to get these things. At the very root of all things that are going on in our world, it comes down to this. This is what people want. Where do fights and quarrels come from? You, like, how can we stop the fighting? How come we can't get along? What, what about racial tension? It's because some of us have a passion for our race. And in fact, all of us, to some degree or not, another, have racism, even if we don't know about it. It's a passion for me. It's a passion for what I want. It's an epic desire for my control, my security, and I feel insecure, perhaps, when someone of another race is near me. This is what James points to. This is our problem. He says, you covet, which is to enthusiastically strive for. I really want this, as I've said. And cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Now, what's that mean right there? Just stop right there. You don't have because you don't ask. You're looking for approval, comfort, security, control, whatever, fill in the blank. It's the root cause. You're looking for that thing at any cost, so much so, and you're looking for it in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember that song? Most of you probably don't, right? Whatever. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for approval in all the wrong places. You're looking to get something to fulfill who you are from everything else in life. And let me just say this, especially when it comes to marriage. So many times, each spouse is looking to the other one to say, I want you to be the end all in my life. I want you to grant to me 
all things related to approval. I want you to approve of everything that I do. So then this is what happens. In the midst of your marriage, what happens is this. I'm a guy. I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive on the inside. Not so much on the outside, but the inside. My ego can be hurt very easily. And I want my wife, let's say, to, to really approve of me. But let's just say that she says something that doesn't quite you know, fulfill my desires for approval. Let's just say I go home. And this is a hypothetical, of course. Like, let's just say I go home and I say, what do you think of the sermon? And let's just say that she's like, it was good. It was good. And I say, well, what do you mean by good? I mean, like, like it was, it was, it was kind of good. It was really good. Like, like, was there something wrong with it? She's not quite fitting into that level of approval that I was looking for. I'm looking for from my spouse, like this really big thing. And I'm saying, I've, I, I have a passion. I'm a hedonist. I, I am seeking after pleasure in the area of approval so much so that I am going after it from her. And if she doesn't give that to me, I'm disappointed. And that disappointment in your marriage flows all the way throughout your life. It's going to color the way that you talk with one another. And guess what? Marriages fall apart because of this. It comes as a wife comes after her husband and wants the security. I want more security. I want more security. I want more security. I, I want you to be everything to me. I want you to be every bit of emotional support that I need. And at the end of the day, listen, guys, we have a responsibility to provide those things. We have a responsibility to give our wife so many of those things. But at, at some point, the wife has to come down on this level and just say, my husband isn't God. You don't have the approval or the security that you want in your marriage. Not simply because your husband isn't God, but because you're not asking God. You're looking to your husband to provide things that only God can provide in totality. And your marriage is, is like falling apart at the seams because what's happening is this, is that you've made a God out of your husband. You've made him into somebody that he cannot be. He cannot fill those shoes. And guys, she cannot fill those shoes either. She can't be that for you. Those of you who are single, in the midst of all of your relationships and your friendships and things like that, those things are so important to you. Because of this, some of you are on your own. Maybe your family's not in town. Or you, you, God hasn't given you a spouse yet. Maybe you want that. But what's happening is this, is that the weight of relationship is being laid, perhaps, on other people, and you're weighing them with something that ultimately they cannot provide you because they are not God. They, you do not have the relational fulfillment that you want out of them because there's an aspect, not all of it, there's an aspect of relationship that only God is intended to fulfill. You do not have because you don't ask. It's not a thought that we have. We don't think that I, I need this from God. I need to go to God with it. 
and we bring our prayers to our friends and we pray to them, we say, would you please fulfill this ultimate desire that I have and be my best, best, bestest friend forever. And the relationship cannot bear the weight of your prayer. God is the only one that can bear the weight of what you need because he created you with this desire. He created you with this, this, this desire so that you would find it in him. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Sometimes we are going to prayer and we're saying, God, would you provide this thing for me? Would you give me this one thing? If you would just give me this one thing. I once worked for a lady who said, I'm praying for a million dollars. And I'm just, I'm, and, and I'm just praying that God will give me a million dollars so that I can go give it to all of these other ministries. And my next question, if I wasn't waiting for her to pay me, I would have said, uh, um, are you giving now? Are you giving now? Because current behavior, past behavior, is the best measure of future behavior. You, you ask wrongly so that you can spend it on your passions. You're asking God for, the, for things, for people, for, for feelings. You're asking God for those types of things. I am asking God for those types of things so that I can spend it wrongly on my hedonism. And it is essentially saying to God, Dear Jesus, would you please bow down and worship my idol of pleasure? Would you pr please bow down and worship my idol so that I can continue to be idolatrous and go after things other than the true and the living God? You ask and you don't receive because you're asking with wrong motives. You're, you're asking God to do something that he cannot do, which is to give you something that's only going to allow you to become more sinful and more separated from him. He says, you adulterous people. And I, I want you to get the sense of that word. I want you to get the sense of, of, of the word that he, he uses there. He says, you adulterous people. We're not talking about act, actual adultery here. What we're talking about is we're talking about everyday Christians. We're talking about churchgoers arguing and fighting. We're talking about people who know God, who have relationship with God. That's, it's very specific right here to those people. Okay, So he says, you adulterous people. Now, what does that conjure up? Well, it conjures up this idea of adultery. Because in the Old Testament, God looks at his people as a spouse. And in fact, if you were to read in the book of Hosea, you'd find some pretty interesting things. And I, I would uh, like to read you some right now. And I, I think it'll be quite enlightening if you will uh, permit me. The book of Hosea starts out, I mean, it's, it's a warm and fuzzy book. I once had a friend 
say, uh, if you have a parking problem, you should teach through Hosea. And so he says this in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take your wife, take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. When God looks at his people and he sees what's going on with them, he sees them as a spouse and he loves them dearly. But when he sees them begin to go after other things, in fact, I, I, I've got to keep reading here for just a second. And it says it in verse 5, about halfway down, it says, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water. He's talking about his people. He calls them a she. I'm going to go after my lovers who give me bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She, and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for idol worship. I, I believe James is specifically evoking at least this type of situation, if not this very book. When he's, he's saying this, he's saying, he's not calling us whores, if I can use that word, but he says we're adulterers. And I, I, the reason why this is important is, is to say this, is that when there's arguing and fighting that's going on in your marriage, when there's arguing and fighting that's going on in our church or in your work, when your passions are at war within you, when your desires are going after those things, it is an example of being an unfaithful husband, an unfaithful wife in a marriage. And for those of you that are married, or who want to be married, how faithful do you want your spouse? Very, 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 very completely faithful, right? God is like a lover to us. And he's saying this. He's saying this stuff in your life, this epic desire, this passion, is creating in you another lover, you're going after these things and you're saying, hey, I need approval so much. I need the comfort and the control so much that I'm going after those things. You're the one that's giving this to me, wife or husband. You're the one that's providing these things for me. But what does God say to his people? And she did not know that it was I who gave the grain. I'm the giver of the grain and the wine and the oil. I'm the one who gives all good things. And yet here we are as adulterers to God when we go after those things. Now some of us walk into church and we say, you know, things are okay with me. I'm doing all right. But at the end of the day, when you look back over your conversations and your relationships, the way that you speak about other people, the arguments that you're in, 
It's an example of unfaithfulness to God. And it brings us to a point of just like devastation to say, like, I'm an adulterer to God. I walk away daily. Like, how in the world is this even helpful if this is where I'm at, if this is who I am, if, if I, as his creation, say, thank you very much for all this stuff, now forget you. How does that work? He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity is discord. Has to do with anger in both directions. It has to do with this anger uh, towards uh, us towards God and saying, God, I'm angry with you. And you might say, you know what, I'm okay with God. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with him. But no, no, no. He's saying, no, when you act in these ways, what's essentially going on is that this is anger towards God. And the way that this works is this, is like in my marriage, like I can say something and, and my wife may turn around and say, I feel like you just said this. And I might say, I didn't mean that. And she says, that's the way that I received it. And I say, when I was a moron, I, I would say, well, I didn't mean it that way, so you shouldn't have taken it that way. But here's the way that it works with God. God knows our hearts. He knows every aspect of our personality. He knows what we meant. And you may, on the surface, may be saying, I didn't mean it like that. But God is saying, that's the way that I took it. That's the way that I'm taking it. That this adultery is enmity. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now, why does it say this? This word friendship is not just friendship with the world. What it's talking about is it's saying you can't just reach out into society and take everything that they have and plug it into your life. You can't just take whoever's advice and plug it in. You can't just say, you know what, I'm just going to do what I feel like because I need to make me happy. Because that's wrong. That's wrong. When we say, I just need to be happy here, those are wrong issues. Those are problems in our life. The word friendship here is philos or phylos. And what it means is this. It's not just like, hey, how you doing? How was your weekend? You know, that's, I mean, that's friendship. That's surface level. That, you might even be closer friends than that. But that's not the friendship it's talking about. It's talking about the sharing of all things, the sharing of ideas. It's taking the thought process that our world has and saying, I'm taking that as my own. And James is saying this. If these things are happening in your life, what's really taking place is that you are not just friends, but you're a follower. You're a follower of the world. You're going after them. And when you put yourself in that position and you say, I am going to receive everything that the world has for me, it's enmity with God. And he says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is full assimilation of all things in our world. And all you need to do is watch TV for a little while. All you need to do is to watch TV. It's argument after argument after argument after murder, 
after murder after murder. Get on to uh, uh, reality TV shows. And wh what are they showing? Are they showing when people are getting along? No, the height of that show is the argument that's taking place. Do you think that watching that show, that that does not somehow bleed into your life? That this is somehow normative in relationships? Whether it's a, a, a reality show about marriages, or whether it's a reality show about gold mining, or whatever, do you think that somehow that does not leak into your life when our lives are very much spent in the media? Our lives are spent in receiving these things. If you watch the news all the time, what are they showing? They don't want someone who's kind and gentle. They want someone who is Donald Trump, right? I mean, this, this guy is a media darling because of the things that he says and the way that he says them. My apologies if you like him, whatever. But they like him because he says things that are controversial, that create arguments, that create issues, and people want to see this back and forth that's going on. Our world, the foundation of our world, is built on fighting and quarreling. It's what sells TV shows. It's what sells anything these days. Friendship with the world. Syncretism, allowing your life to be like that life, is enmity towards God. I've got to stop right there and just say this. Do you realize that in the midst of your marriage or in the midst of your relationships that you may be pointing the finger at the other person when the entire time you should be pointing it back at yourself? Because you want something from them that only Jesus provides. Jesus is the only one who provides. It is why we sing in Christ alone. It is why we resonate these phrases over and over again. So that you go home and you say this, in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. That's the only place that that can be fulfilled. How is it fulfilled in Jesus? Because Jesus perfectly fulfills everything that God requires. Jesus perfectly fulfills everything that God requires. His approval is totally in God the Father. His comfort is totally in fulfilling everything that God the Father has desired from him. His control is released to God the Father. His security is in God the Father. He is completely in God the Father. And what that means for us is this, is that when Jesus goes and he dies for something that he didn't do, he, he did not sin in the way that you and I do. He does not submit his life to man. He submits his life to God. When he went to the cross as an absolutely, completely perfect, infallible human being who is God in the flesh, what happened was this. He made a way for you to be able to get to God. He made a way for you to be able to say to him, okay, I give up. I submit. 
I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to stop going after these things. Listen, you think that your world is based on going after these things. The motivational drive of your life is pushing you towards the approval of other people. Whether you party too much and you get yourself into trouble or, or who, who you're sleeping with. It's, it's what's driving you is you're driven by these things and it's not by God and it leads you to death spiritually but it leads you to all kinds of disasters in this world and ultimately it can tear apart your family, it can tear apart your world. The church of Jesus Christ through his word, through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God inhabiting us has the answer to our city, but we better know it first. Church, let's get it right. Let's get it right. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And we're going to pick it up next week with some great hope that he gives, but I want to leave you with that for now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us the ability to receive from you what it takes to live this life according to what you want. Lord God, I'm praying that by the power of your spirit that you would shore up the foundations of our life, that you would get down to the root and expose where we have deep desires for things that are not of you. Lord, may you be the one who who does the work in our life. Lord, may we do some remodeling in our hearts through your power to expose the deficiencies so that we can see where we need to hope and to trust in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.